Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. All right, good morning, Trinity Community Church. Are you ready to go? It's a big deal, isn't it? One of the smallest words in the Bible, one of the toughest things for us to do, to go. To take your faith from the inside and to take it out to a world that that needs to hear it. How many of you know that the only reason you're here today is because somebody loved you enough to go? To share the gospel with you, to share the heart of God with you. Um, I think it's fitting that we looked at that today because today we are going to be finishing up our fivefold ministry uh, gift series. And one of the most important things is for us, us to go. Um, we're learning, you know, this has been a meat and potato series. We've been learning through the last three weeks on how the church is supposed to function, how we're supposed to operate. You know, it's one thing to go to church. It's another thing to be the church. Are you with me? So you got to know how we're supposed to operate, what we're supposed to do. Um, God created us in an interesting way for us to be, uh, dependent on each other. Um, you know, a few weeks ago, Rob and I had an opportunity to go to Alaska and, uh, we get this interesting dynamic that happens between us. We are adventure people. In our minds, we think we're 25 years old. But in our bodies, we understand that we have now crested into our 50s, which means this. Usually for all these great adventures, we are the oldest people on the bus. We're the ones who are like, can we help you, officer? I'm like, don't touch me. I'm fine. I can move around. So we decided to do this, uh, this uh, sea kayaking adventure in Alaska. We've done sea kayaking before, like in the warm waters of the Pacific where it's nice and warm, and you're on the top of the boat, and it's sunny, and everybody's having a good time. But we've never done them in Arctic waters, waters that had things like killer whales in them, waters and things like if you go down in these waters, you've got a few minutes before you become a popsicle. So, you know, you get all set up, and, uh, and they give you, you know, you, you have the kayaks, you have the skirts. The skirts keep the water from going in the holes of the kayak because if you get water in your boat, where does your boat go? How many of you have seen Titanic? Then you know. So they get you out there, and it's a little dicey, you know. Um, you know you've got killer whales out there. They call them killer whales for a reason. They don't call them fluffy whales. Happy whales, right? They call them killer whales. There's seals, there's porpoises, all kind of stuff. So we're getting out there, and, and it's two people to a, to a kayak. So Rob and I have, when I was in the back, she was in the front. There were three groups of ten, so 30 kayaks went out into this unknown place. And it was beautiful. I learned something that day. If you ever want to put your your relationship or your marriage to the test, engage in an activity that is dependent on both of you doing things synchronized in order to get to a common destination. You get to see the true metal of what's inside that relationship and how deep it is. And you would think something as simple as, I'm going to row on the left side, you row on the, light, on the right side. You think that would be a simple task to get you anywhere? Dare I say, it is not. So we started out into the waters. You know, my goal is to not go into the water and die. That's my basic goal. I'd love to see creatures. Wouldn't mind seeing an orca way off in the distance, but I don't want to see one next to the boat going, hello. So we're paddling, and it gets very simple. I'm on the left side, Rama's on the right side. So we just paddle together, in sync, like the band, right? You know, so, hey, paddle, go. And it was funny. Okay, we're going to the left. One, three. I go on the left. She goes on the left. We go in a circle. I said, no, 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 no. You're on the right side. I'm on the left side. We just paddle. I'm in the back. Of the you ready? Oh, I got it. And I was just mixed up. Okay, here we go. Ready? Let's paddle. No, no. Your other, your other right. Your other right. 
So then I thought, well, she's just not a, she's not a, a righty, she's a lefty. So you go on the left side, and I'll go on the right side, and then we'll just paddle. And okay, so she's on the left, and we just go in circles again. I said, honey, I don't understand what the problem is. So then I thought, I, thought I, I, can, I know how I can fix this. I'll just call out where and which side she needs to paddle on. Because I'm sure she'll just listen to everything I'm saying and just do exactly what I say. How many of you have ever had a marriage? Does that work for you? So I'm going, left, left, left. No, 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 no. You're late. No, left. your other left. Stop yelling at me. There in the middle of, of the Pacific, we're having a marital discussion amongst the other kayaks. And I realized that perhaps this was a bad idea. Have you ever had bad ideas like that? So we're out there, and we eventually figure stuff out. We go up to this glacier. We come back. And on our way back, we are now pretty much straight, which is beautiful. So our, our, our guide, Chris, goes, okay, guys, we're done. You guys can just head to the beach as, as fast as you want. So, you know, Robin thought, oh, this is nice. We'll take some sightseeing. When Chris said that, you know what, as a man, you know how we interpret that, don't you? I have to be to the beach first. So I look over, and out of the corner of my eye, there's another couple that's close to our age. And me and the dude, we lock eyes. We lock arms. And I'm like, we, we're going to get this thing done. I said, honey, I need you to focus. She said, what do you mean? We got to focus. I said, I just need you to focus. We got to get there first. So we start paddling. No, paddle! 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 We're paddling. They're paddling. Everything's great. And I want to let you know, your pastor is a winner. We got there first. Um, but I, I made a discovery that day. You can win a race and still lose at life. Because the bus ride back was a little, little cool. Robin didn't speak to me for like four hours, which was kind of pleasant. But that's another story. That's another story. Teamwork makes the dream work, baby. God designed the church not to be independent, but to be interdependent. He designed us to not just need him, but to need each other. And he designed the church to be in balance. Now, the challenge is this. We're not good at balance. We're not good at being dependent. We all want to be independent. And understand this, beloved, the church doesn't work that way. We need every piece. Each one of us is a priest that we bring to the table. We need every piece in order for the church to be successful. So over this last month or so, we've been looking at the blueprint that God has given us as a church on how we're supposed to function, how we're supposed to move, and how we're supposed to accomplish our mission, staying in balance. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Ephesians 4.11 again. We're going to put a bow on this today. Now, what's interesting is this. Sometimes when it comes to church things, we just, we just don't read the book. I don't know why. We're like those guys on Christmas Day trying to build the bike without the directions. We have parts left over and it doesn't work right. And we're like, I don't know what happened. You know what happened? You didn't read the directions. So we're here, you know, here we see Paul and he gives us the blueprint for how the church is supposed to function. Ephesians 4.11 says this. Now, these are the gifts that Christ gave the church. Who gave the gifts to the church? Whose church is it? Christ's church. He's saying, guys, in pushing the boat into the water of the church, these are the gifts that I gave you. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers. Their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work and to build up the church, the body of Christ. So we see the gifts we read here their function, how they're supposed to operate. All these guys is a gift, and, and they're supposed to pour into the gift of the church, and they're going to equip the church, and they're going to build up the church. All of these gifts are important. And then we get a time duration of when they end. It says this, this will continue until we all come to such unity in our faith and knowledge of God's Son, 
that will be mature in the Lord, measuring up to the full and complete standard of Christ. That word in the Greek, full, you know what that means? Full, complete, lacking nothing. Does anybody in here, in your faith, do you lack nothing? Is anybody here not a work in progress? Has anybody here figured it all out? If you have, write a book and I'll, I'll buy it. I'll buy your book. We're all works in progress. So what is, what is the Bible telling us here? What is Jesus telling us here? This is going to be the function and the form of the church until the head of the church comes back. Who is the head of the church? Jesus. This is Jesus' church, not my church. It's his church. This is how he wants it to function. So when you look at the early church, we see clearly the function of all these gifts working together. Now what happens sometimes is this. We get caught up on titles. It's not about titles. It's about function. You have the apostolic gift. What does that do? Well, they grow things. They push things forward. They build. They establish things. You prophetic gift. They, they guide. They give you God's heart. You know, they're always reaching, reaching up to hear what God wants to do. Last week, we did a thing in the services called encouraging words. How many of you got an encouraging word last week? How many of you was like, man, this is ridiculous and it rocked me. It's pretty intense. I mean, you know what that is? That's God speaking his heart to you. I had some people come and say, Pastor, how did you know that stuff about me? What are you talking about? Well, how, how did they know all that stuff? You know what we did? We bugged your house. We looked through all your trash. We went just to figure out, you know, what color ice cream, you know, what type, type of ice cream you liked. Or maybe it's more plausible that, you know, we serve a God that sees you, that loves you, and he wants you to succeed. And he's desperately trying to reach you sometimes. So we did that last week. To my knowledge, nobody died. And it was a good experience. And then you have the evangelistic gift. These are the people that look outward. They're always taking stuff outside the walls. These are the ones that worry about the people outside the church. You have the pastoral gift. These are the ones that gather. They work on the innies. And then you have the teaching gift. These are the ones that ground. Today we're going to take a look at the final three. We're going to look at the evangelistical gift, the pastoral gift, and the teaching gift. Now why are we going to do all three of these? Well, these are the ones that the church is most familiar with. So you have a working knowledge of some of these things. Now, why is the church comfortable with these last three? Well, they're concrete. You know, we can see them. They're more tangible. Now, what's interesting is this, is even though those three are concrete and we're familiar with them, sometimes we don't, we struggle to see how these actually, these gifts are actually lived out in the body. So let's start with the evangelistical gift. When you hear the word evangelist, what do you think of? Some of you think of Billy Graham, right? Some of you members, again, you know, in the Greek Orthodox Church, we didn't have evangelists. We just had, you know, Greek people wearing big hats. That's what we had in orthodoxy, right? But some of you grew up and the evangelist would roll into town. He'd have, what, a week's worth of meetings, a week's worth of meetings, and they would roll right out of town again. And he'd stir up the people in the church. How many of you had that type of an experience with an evangelist? Now, what's funny is this. And, you know, I affirm people that, 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 that take up that mantle. When you look at this, according to Ephesians 4, 11, and 12, that evangelistic gift should be here in our church all the time. It shouldn't come in and leave with somebody. It should be here all the time. It should be part of what we do. So those of you that are evangelistical, these are usually people that are outgoing. These are people that can rally people. These are, pop, these are people that are always looking to reach people outside the walls of the church. They have compassion for people that are out there. You know, teachers kind of stay this way. They don't want to get dirty. Teachers stay away from everybody out there. Pastors, no, it's just us. Don't let anybody else in. Evangelists are like, let's bring as many people to the party as possible. That's what that gift looks like. Now, for us, this gift of evangelism is super important. Why? It keeps us from being completely focused on ourselves. 
And let's just be real with each other. Can we be real with each other? Live into our own devices. You know, give into our own devices. In our core, all of us are self-focused. And when you're self-focused in the church, we forget what our core mission is. The evangelistical gift keeps us on track for our core mission. What is our core mission? We call it the Great Commission. If you've got your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 28. Now, what's cool about the Great Commission, when you read this, you can actually see all five of the gifts in operation in the Great Commission. But we're going to like circle in on three of them today, just to finish this thing up. All of you have heard this. This is Matthew, Matthew 28, 19, or Matthew 28, 18 through 20. This is Jesus' final words when he's launching the church, when he's launching his guys. He's kind of, he says, guys, I'm leaving, but now this is, this is for you. This is how you guys are going to continue to take on the family business. He says this, Jesus came and he told his disciples, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. We talked about that today. But this is incredible. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all I commanded you. And be sure of this. I'm with you always to the end of the age. The evangelistical gift reminds us of the importance of the Great Commission. It reminds us of this. God has called us, propelled us, to go take his love, power, and presence to everybody that we meet. Again, humans are self-focused. God is always lifting us and lifting our eyes off of our stuff onto everybody that's around us. Now, being able to do that, to look at other people and to see their needs and to put their needs before our own needs, that's really, really tough to do, especially when you find yourself in pressure situations. You have this ability, this desire to survive. Even the whole understanding of Jesus saying, you know, uh, there's no greater love than this that a man lays down his life for his friend. It is not normal for us to want to lay our lives down for others. What overrides that desire of self-preservation is love. Extravagant love. Um, but we're all, we all have it. It all pops out from time to time depending on where you're at. Uh, I remember a few years ago my brother, um, my brother and my sister-in-law, you know, they, they were getting married. They were a little bit older. So they wanted to do a destination wedding. Have you ever been to a destination wedding? They're cool. Instead of having 400 people at, this, at the church in your town, you know, they took a couple dozen of us, and we went to St. Lucia, a tropical paradise. We went on this to St. Lucia, and they were going to get married, and we were in this all-inclusive resort, which is beautiful and terrible. The beautiful part is this. You can eat anything you want. The terrible part is it's in a tropical paradise. That means you eat all you want, and then they expect you to go out in a bathing suit and walk around on the beaches. Or you go into the water, and they're like, you know... They think that you're a, a, a sea creature because you're so large. You know, it's just terrible. It's beautiful. But one of the things that they did, too, is you could try different things out. They had sailing. I learned how to sail. Captain Jimmy taught me how to sail. By the way, I would never get in a vessel with me as a sail captain because I don't remember anything he did. And one of the things we got to do, too, is we got to take jet skis out. Now, we're in St. Lucia. It's the ocean. We're not talking about, you know, Lake Titicaca. It's the ocean. And we got to take out some jet skis. So Robin and I are on some jet skis and my brother and... and his soon-to-be bride, they're on another set of jet skis, and we're out, and we're having a ball. The water's blue, and we're way out there, man. I'm thinking, if this thing dies, we're done. You're in St. Lucia, which means this. OSHA has got no impact in St. Lucia at all. So anything could die. So we're out there, and how many of you have ever been on a jet ski before? So the rule of thumb on a jet ski is this. As long as you're moving forward, you're pretty steady. But the second you stop going in a direction, you become very susceptible to having a wave knock you off, off your jet ski. 
Now, again, if you're in Lake Titicaca, that ain't a big deal because it's all fresh water and you're fine. But how many of you know that there are creatures that lurk in the ocean? So we're out there, and Robin and I have been on jet skis before, so it's not a big deal. But this was like the first time my brother had ever been on a jet ski. So we get to this place out here, and he, um, he stops that thing. And then the waves start taking him. And before you know it, this big wave hits him. It knocks him and my sister-in-law off their jet ski. Now, this is where the fun begins. My brother goes into the water. The, the desire to survive kicks up. He climbs over her body in the water to get his body out of the water and to get back on the jet ski. I'm talking like push her head down, blah, 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 to do whatever he can to get back out of the, get into that water, get out of the water. He's screaming, she's screaming, and Robin and I are just laughing. <laughs> it's the greatest thing ever. So she comes up, and she looks like a drowned rat, and my brother's got a bald head. So he's like, and she's like, what were you doing? What were you doing? He's like, I just, I don't know what happened. I just freaked out, blah, 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 blah. And they're screaming at each other, and Robin and I are eating like popcorn. Yeah. How many of you know that marital, you know, suffering is funny as long as it's not you? You know, and you're thinking, oh, did he say that? Oh, he said that. <laughs> oh, he's going to pay for that. Long story short, you know, as they came back in, she was driving and he was in the back. And it's pretty much been their relationship ever since. <laughs> so I remember getting back on the land and I said, Tim, I said, what, what did you do? You climbed over your bride-to-be. What, what, what happened? What were you thinking? He goes, all I could think was, I got to get my chunky Greek legs out of the water now. And he did. What do we call that? Self-preservation. As believers, we are not self-focused. We are kingdom focused because this is what happens when you focus on God's kingdom. He gives you not just what you need to accomplish, what he's asking you to do, but he gives you all the things that you need in your own life as well. Matthew 6.33 says this, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, then all of your other needs will be met as well. If you go and you try to honor God first, he'll take care of everything else. You see, this is the funny thing about God. God didn't just ask you to change the world, but he, did, he asked you, he gave you a commission, he sent you, and he empowered you to get the job done. How do we know that? Well, Natalie talked about that today. All authority has been given to me. And what did Jesus say? I give you that authority now to go and to get this thing done, to do it. Now, here's the challenge. Some of us don't walk in authority. Some of us don't walk in the power that, that God has given us. We, we, we try to do it on our own. Have you, how many of you found out when you do things like that on your own, you don't get very far? So just plug into the power source. Walk in authority, understand what it is, and be empowered by the Spirit. He promised us right after the Great Commission, as he's getting ready to leave in Acts 1.8, he said this. You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you'll be my witness, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So have you ever wondered this? You know, when we talk about this verse, what does it mean? What does the Holy Spirit really empower us to do when it comes to accomplishing our mission? Well, the Holy Spirit does a ton of things, but he does two primary things. The first thing he does is this. He empowers us to know God's heart. Do you know that apart from the Spirit, you don't understand who God really is? It's the Spirit that draws us, and it's the Spirit that awakens us to the understanding of who He is and what He wants us to accomplish. 1 Corinthians 2.14 says this, But a person who denies spiritual realities will not accept the things that come through the Spirit of God. They all sound like foolishness to Him. Listen to this. When you're not open to the Spirit, 
He is incapable of grasping them because they are disseminated, discerned, and valued by the Spirit. So one of the things the Holy Spirit does is this. When you give your heart to Christ, the Holy Spirit, a measure of the Spirit, the fullness of the Godhead enters your heart. And it awakens things inside of you. This is why it's so funny to me. We lose our mind when the world doesn't do things like we do it in the church. We lose our mind when people don't see things, that people don't know God, when they they do things like they don't know God. Do you know why they operate that way? They don't know God. Are you with me? Do you know how to change and revolutionize a society? Awaken people's heart to the gospel. Let them experience God's love, power, and presence. Let transformation begin with them. You know, that's our main mechanism. We pray and we go. That's lasting change. It changed you. It changed me. Only the Holy Spirit awakens us to the spiritual realities of what's going on. Don't be dull. Be awakened by the Spirit. That's the first thing He does. He gives us the power to know the heart of God. The second thing the Holy Spirit does is this. He gives us the power for the miraculous. The book, the Bible, is loaded with miracles. Why is the Bible loaded with miracles? Do you know why? Because mankind is faced with so many problems. You don't have a miracle without a problem. You don't have a solution without a question. It's all part of it. The Holy Spirit empowers us so that we could be vessels that can allow God to be God in our space and in our time. 1 Corinthians 4.20 says this, For the kingdom of God does not consist of talk, but in power. When's the last time? Oh, here, everybody say, Pastor TJ. <laughs> say, we love you. Because Jesus said we really had to. When's the last time your faith had more power than talk? Don't tell me all the things that God can do. Show me. Capiche? Show me. Step out. He transformed your heart. He can transform mine. He can change it all. I read in the book about how he heals people. He can heal today. He healed back then. How he set people free. Show me. We need to be a church filled with power, not just talk. Don't get me wrong. I love to talk. I talk a lot all the time. My kids will tell you. The church has got to be more than talk. We have to move from our intelligence to our heart, heart power, the Holy Spirit flowing through us. Ephesians 3.20 says this, never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes you. Anything that you can think, God can trumpet. Anything that you can imagine, God can do more. He's waiting for us to open the door, to allow his spirit to be displayed. So there's this incredibly wonderful supernatural aspect to going, to being evangelistic. But there's also this incredibly practical thing. Beloved, you just got to go. Step out and do it. For example, in eight or nine weeks, we're going to have about 5,000 people here for our family fest. We already have people registering and we've not even opened up registration yet. Think about this. This is the last Saturday in October and people are registering. They started registering before at the end of August. 
This is an opportunity for us as a church to go, to go outside the walls and to, to speak God's love, power, and presence to people that don't know him. This is a great opportunity for you to put your faith to the test, baby. This is my prayer for you. Ready for this? I have people ask me, how come we don't do like praying off the stage and stuff like that? We don't do You know what we do? We send you. How cool would it be if everybody in this room, if you prayed and you prayed this prayer, Lord, bring me one person that I can lead to the Lord during that event. Amongst the candy and the mechanical bull and all the, and the hot dogs, you know, God bring you one person to see something miraculous happen. Maybe God heals their body. Maybe they give their hearts to Christ that right then and there. Every year we have people that have incredibly ridiculous, amazing, miraculous encounters at our family fest and our egg hunts. We had one lady come in a couple years ago. She came in, she goes, the second non-believer, the second I got, I put my foot on the ground, I felt like the Holy Spirit. I never felt him in my life. And he spoke to me. And he says, you are home. They came to Christ. The whole family came to Christ. And they've been here ever since. The power of a hot dog. Hallelujah. Family fest is coming. This is what I need you to do. I need you to pray. Ask God. You know, Lord, bring people here that need to hear, need to hear you. Ask him. Say, Lord, my go, my yes is on the table. Send me. Some of you have been a fully devoted follower of Christ for 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, and you've never made a disciple. Baby, this is your opportunity. Lead somebody to Christ. Share with them what God's done in your life. That's what he called us to do. He said, go and make disciples. That's kind of our thing. If you haven't done that, what have you done? Pray. Lord, bring me somebody. Lord, I'm going to invite so many people. Lord, let all of them say yes. Pray. Ask God, say, Lord, how, how do I support this? We make this a completely free event for our community. That means just we raise the money to do it. Pray, I'm going to ask you for money that you can give to the community. Because the first thing is they come in here, they just want my money. No, we don't. Every year I get tickled. Well, you're going to get my money somehow. No, we're not. Want another hot dog? Hot dogs disarm everybody. It is. It's like, it's like manna. I think manna was hot dogs. And then pray to get involved. Lord, what do you want me to do? Do me a favor. Your calendar's far enough. You know, it's nine weeks away. Set aside October the 28th and give us four hours. Pastor, I can pencil you for maybe an hour and a quarter. Get rid of all your other stuff and serve. How much does God ask of you? Serve. But they're kids and they're sticky and they carry diseases. God will protect you. And we have doctors here. It'll be fine. Be a part of it. Bring candy. Get involved. The second is this, the pastoral gift. Well, who, what are those, you know, those that have this pastoral gift, how, how are they made? What do they look like? These are the ones that, that gather people. These are the ones that care about the hearts of people. They love spending time closely, intimately with people. They, they worry about people inside the body. They worry about people in the church. Uh, these are people that, 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 that value relationship and they value intimacy. Those that have the pastoral gift, they, they protect the body. Now, this is an incredibly value, valuable gift. Why is this a valuable gift? Because, beloved, you are not a number. You are a name. You have a heart. You have a soul. The Bible tells us this. The church is made up of living stones. You're a living stone in the church, and you matter to God. We are not just about programs. Pastors help to keep us healthy because here's the reality of health. If the inside of the church isn't healthy, nothing we produce will be healthy. So we got to take care of what's going on the inside too. You see this in the Great Commission again. Look at Matthew 28, 19. Jesus said this, go and make disciples of all nations. Now, when you see that word disciple, what do you think of? 
Do you think of somebody getting their like BA, you know, in college? Do you think about somebody, you know, taking a test, somebody sitting into a class? Sometimes we think discipleship is just the infusion of knowledge. And that may be what our society views as a disciple, but back in Jesus' time, a disciple was more than just somebody that infused information to somebody else. The term really emphasized the relationship between the rabbi and the disciple. It wasn't just about passing along stuff. It was about creating intimacy between the teacher and the student. Back in Jesus' day, the disciple would would reorient their life to serve the rabbi. They would walk with them. They'd seek to understand why they taught the way that they taught. They would intimately study his life. All for this one important goal. To not just understand information, but to be the rabbi someday. That's what disciples do. They become the discipler at some point. Now what's beautiful is this. We see this displayed also in the relationship between Jesus and the disciples. This was more than just the passing along of knowledge. We see intimacy. We see deep, we, we see deep friendship. We see love. The church should be built on intimacy, deep friendship, and love. This is John 15. And this is Jesus setting the table for the disciples. And it's just beautiful. I love these little windows into the intimacy of the disciples. Jesus said this, I've loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. What is Jesus telling the disciples? This is what me and God have. And I'm letting you into what God and I have. Me and God have this. Now you and I have this. It says, when you obey my commandments, you remain in my love. Just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I've told you these things so you'll be filled with joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. Have you ever thought about this? You're a friend of God. He's your friend. Of all the things that he is, and we sang about it today, You've got no rival. You've got no equal. You know, have you seen Saturn? He did that. There it is. He did that. And of all the titles that he wears, he also wears the title TJ. You know, God is my friend. He's my friend. Not my enemy. Not somebody that tolerates me. He's my friend. You're my friends, which if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. You're now my friends, and since I've told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. The pastoral gift brings intimacy to the body. Intimacy and love is at the core of who we are as a church more important than all the other things. I remember um, a few years ago, we were at a church in Denver. And, uh, I mean, we got there. We, weren't, we didn't really start growing at that point yet. We had, I think we started about 12. We had three 90-year-olds. So when you talk about the average was up there, you know, 90-year-olds. We, we, our, our fun activities were things for, like, we were, we'd look for pills. Uh, we, would, we would do, it was just a great time. I remember the first day Tanya walked in. She was in the back of the church. I was standing up getting ready to speak. And Tanya had a little two-year-old with her, and she was 
great with child. She looked like she was going to have a baby any, any minute. And I, I don't know how else to describe this. I saw her in the back of the church, and her very appearance, her complexion was, was gray. I didn't know anything about her story. didn't know anything about her. She came in, sat down. At the end of the service, she came up. And that morning, she gave her heart to Christ. And it was just ridiculous. And uh, I remember then, you know, as soon as she gave her heart to Christ, she wanted to, uh, to volunteer at the church. So she'd sweep, do anything she could. And uh, she said, you know, in her words, she says, I'd come to the church, and when I'd come to the church, the voices would stop, and I'd feel peace. So I watched her, and she, as she grew in her faith, um, you know, her color came back. She, like, became human, which was beautiful. So she was already great with child, so about maybe five weeks after she came to join us, she went into, into labor. We found out through, the, through relationship with her, 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 her boyfriend was in jail for the rest of his life, so she was on her own. Uh, raising these, this, this baby and these other two babies. So she had her, her, her baby, and there was complications during the birth. The baby had a stroke. Um, so they sent it to the prayer chain. We started to pray. It was absolutely ridiculous. God did something miraculous. Uh, you know, they had pictures of the stroke and everything like that, and God, God healed the baby. The baby's beautiful, great today. And, uh, and it was just a big deal. And I thought, well, you know, she's in the hospital. I need to go visit her, see how she's doing. So I go to visit her, and then and, and, and Tanya, her little Tanya's daughter, older daughter's named Tanya, she was with somebody else, and she's there, and the little baby's in the bassinet. And I'm looking at her, and she's just sitting there, and she's just crying. I said, Tanya. I said, man, I said, this is a miracle. You got to experience a miracle with God healing your baby. And she looked at me. She goes, she goes that's great. She goes, but that's not the big miracle. She says, this is the big miracle. She goes, I've been here for like two days. And there's been a steady stream of people from my church that have come and they've sat with me and they've cried with me and they just won't let me be alone. She goes, this is the first time I've ever encountered love. She says, that's the miracle. And she cried and I thought to myself, well done. Good job, church. That's the power of the church. That's that pastoral gift in operation. Sweetie, you may be afraid, you may feel alone, but you're not so far that God can't reach you. And again, the pastoral gift is God's hands and his feet practically loving you, hugging you inside the church. That's why we need that gift. We need the pastoral gift. So the evangelistical gift reaches out. The pastoral gift gathers and brings people in. And then the final gift is this, the teacher gift. Now, when we talk about teachers, I don't want you to think about that person that sits behind the desk and they got the apple on the desk with the blackboard. We're not talking about the vocation. We're talking about the gift, how teachers are built. For the most part, teachers are detailed people. They love to make sure that things are in order. They love planning. They love structures. They have spreadsheets to organize their spreadsheets. Is anybody in here like that? When I say Excel, you go, whoo. You get excited, right? That's part of that teacher gift. They build structure. They bring us tangible knowledge and understanding. They're the nuts and the bolts of the church. We see them in the Great Commission as well. Matthew 28, 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I've given you. We need teachers. Why? They help us to grow in our faith. Teachers help to keep us from drifting away. Teachers keep us anchored to the Word. Why is it so important for us to be anchored to the Word? Because the Word transforms us. They show us what's right and what's wrong. They help us. The Word is powerful. This is why the enemy does everything he can to keep your nose out of the Word. Beloved, if you want to grow in your faith, get your nose in the book. 
Read the Word. 2 Timothy 3.16 says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof and for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. If you want your faith to be equipped for every good work, get your nose in the book. This is, I'm not talking about a podcast. I'm not talking about a great talk. I'm talking about actually opening your Bible. Read. Allow the Holy Spirit to lead you. Allow him to enlighten you. Make things come off the page. Now, if you got your phone, that's great on your phone. I'm a book guy as well as a phone guy. I love to see the pages. I love to read this up. I love to highlight all my Bibles. I got a ton of different translations. They're all marked up. I got Greek. I got Hebrew. I got it all. That's why it's important for me on Sunday mornings when I teach, I use the Word to validate the Word. This isn't TJ's thoughts and ramblings. It's the Word validating the Word. Why? Because it transforms us. Colossians 3.16 says this, and this is beautiful. Let the Word of the Anointed One richly inhabit your lives. Ooh. That means that it's not just like two minutes in the morning. Let God's Word be a part of your, the rhythm of your life. Let Him inhabit you. With all wisdom, teach counsel and instruct one another, singing psalms composed in hymns and songs inspired by the Spirit. By the way, you encountered all that today. And keep on singing. Sing to God from hearts full and spilling over with thankfulness. It's vital to know the Word if you want to be a fully devoted follower of Christ. Those that have the gift to teach have the ability to break down the Word in ways that we can understand. Now, if you love to teach... And when you teach, nobody understands. You're not teaching, you're just talking. Just because you're talking doesn't mean that you're teaching. Teaching is a specific gift. They break things down so you can understand things. I remember uh, when I went to college, when I went to school, it was my first encounter with different types of teachers at, at a higher level of education. And I remember one of the first teachers I had, he, told, he, he, he claimed, he said, he, he described himself as a power teacher. He said, this is what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to throw so much stuff at you. He says, and my goal is to get 10% of it to stick into your head. And I thought, this already sounds like it's going to stink. I took him for Axe. I forget his name because he was that memorable. And he would turn around. How many of you remember back in, in, the, in the 80s and the 90s, we'd have like little tape recorders and stuff like that? We didn't have, we didn't have you know, the, 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 the devices. You know what we had? A number two pencil and paper. Everything was about paper. And I remember he would turn, and half the time he would just write on the board, so my little tape recorder was like completely useless. And I'd spend the whole time writing as fast as I can, trying to get as much knowledge as I could in, and it was just exhausting. And I passed the test, but I cannot tell you one thing I learned in the class. Sad. But then I had other teachers through that experience that helped to shape me. One of those teachers was uh, Dr. Bill Richardson. Now, he was unique. He was a pastor from Alabama that ended up moving into higher education. And he was the first one that taught me this. He taught me, he said, the onus to teach, the onus of understanding is not on the student. It's on the teacher to teach. He says, it's not, it's not for you. If you deliver stuff and they don't understand it, you've taught nothing. And he'd always say this. He'd, he'd an Alabama, old Alabama accent. He said, Harris, don't be a lazy teacher. Lazy teachers would just mail it in. And it was nuts. And he was great because he taught you the practical nuts and bolts of doing what we do today. So you learn, like, when you go to school to do this, we do stuff just like everybody else. We'd have a class in hermeneutics. Hermeneutics is the art of 
breaking down scripture, understanding what it means so you can teach it. And then homiletics is what I'm doing right now. It's, it's a class to teach you how to deliver what you've broken down. And I remember my, my homiletics professor, Dr. Van Doren, it was this new thing and, and, and we could teach, but there were certain things that we had to stay away from. You know, um, we, we have, um, uh, how many remember Alan Griffin who was here? Alan Griffin, large African-American guy. We were in the same class at Southeastern. Alan and us, you know, we have the same gifts, which means that um, you know, we use a lot of humor and we use stories. And those were the two things we were not allowed to use in homiletics. That's all I got. <laughs> There's nothing else there. And we'd struggle. I remember Dr. Van Doren saying, you've got to do this, and it's Scripture, it's this, and you, it's information, and blah, 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 blah. So that, that's how I learned to do this. So you go through all your stuff, and then they launch you, and, and, and Dr. Richardson was my launching guy, and the way it works is you have a practicum, and then they go and they listen to you out on the field. I remember Dr. Richardson was there, and I was teaching my last big thing to get out of college and to give me my last check, and I'm teaching to about 50 young people, and I give this beautiful talk on propitiation and, and understanding of sin and all these other things, and I got these 12-year-olds looking at me like this. They have no idea what I'm talking about, but it's theologically solid. It's strong, baby. Dr. Van Doren would really be proud. And I got done, and, and Dr. Richardson came up, and he talked, and he had like a gruffy, you know, Alabama accent. Well, he said, Real Harris, he used to call me Harris, he goes, that was, uh, that was theologically interesting. He says, I'm not quite sure what you just taught, but I think it was okay. He says, I got one question. He goes, he goes, I, goes I, don't, I understand you're missing a few components. And I go, what, Dr. Richardson? It was sound. It was great. He goes, well, he goes, you weren't funny and you didn't tell any stories. Now, what made Dr. Richardson unique was for us as his students, he made it a point to know us, to know what our bents were, to know how God had gifted us. Teaching is more than just information. Teaching is how does it apply to you uniquely. And I said, well, I said, Dr. Richardson, I said, I'm not allowed to use humor in stories. Dr. Van Doren said, I can't do that. He says, you know why he doesn't want you to use humor in stories? He says, the boy ain't funny. <laughs> he goes, and he can't tell a story. I said, well, thank you, Dr. Richardson. He goes, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. He says, I'm going to come back next week. He says, and this is what I want you to do, because you're going to make me laugh and you're going to make me cry. If you don't make me do either one, he goes, I'm going to fail you. How many of you know that's a pretty wide range of emotion? Even for a Disney Pixar movie, that's a wide range of emotion, right? So I'm nervous. I don't know what to do. Get in next week, and I give my talk, and we're teaching kids, and tell a story. People are laughing. I tell a story. People cry. At the end of my thing, he comes up to me. He goes, do you know why I had you do that? I said, you, you don't like me? I, I, I don't know why. I don't understand. He goes, no. He goes, these are the gifts that are inside of you. He says, my job as a teacher is to help you impact the world through the gifts that God gave you. Not to just be a parrot to somebody else. And he gave me an A, so that's cool. Right? Here's my point. That's what that gift does in us. Disciples are not one size fits all. With discipleship, there's intimacy. Why? Because all of us are built differently. All of us have different bents, and God needs the uniqueness of who you are. Added to the broth of the church to push forward the kingdom. He needs them all. He needs those that are apostolic, the builders. He needs the prophetic, those that feel. They sense God's spirit. He needs those that are evangelistic. What about the people on the outside of the walls? He needs the pastors. We have to care for the body inside. He needs those to teach, to ground us so that we don't drift away. Jesus is the center. All the other gifts are in operation. So here's my question to you today. 
Two things. First is this. Who are you? Figure out who you are. Figure out your gifts, because if you don't know who you are and you don't know your gifts, you'll never know where to fit into the church. Some of you are frustrated with the church because you don't seem to fit anywhere, but here's the, just to be real, you don't really know who you are. Figure it out so we can plug you in. Go to the fivefold ministry gift test, Scott Tom thing, and take your test and then send it to us. The second thing is this. Bow your heads real quick. I want to leave you and I want you to ask the Holy Spirit one question. It's from the video we saw. Is your yes on the table? God is requesting us to go, to step out. What is your response? Is it yes? Is it yes with strings attached? Yes with conditions? Or is it just a yes? Talk to the Holy Spirit and listen to what He tells you. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.